Hi there, this is Daniel of A Positive Jam. A few quick notes before we begin our breakdown of the penultimate track on Separation Sunday, Crucifixion Cruise. First, if you're new to A Positive Jam, welcome. This is a podcast that so far has broken down every track on the first two albums of the Hold Steady's discography, Almost Killed Me and Separation Sunday, along with a few bonus episodes. Feel free to browse through the back catalog. We hope you get a kick out of it. If you ever want to get in touch, follow us on Twitter at at Sean Westfall, at M. Brooks Taylor, or at Daniel Shortman, or just at Shortman Studios. Also email us at mail at shortmanstudios.com. We love to hear from you. We'd love to hear how you found us. We publish new episodes every Wednesday while a season is going. That said, our second point is that we're going to take a one-week break next week. It's not intentional to build up drama for the last track. You know how a resurrection really feels. It's just a scheduling thing. We'll have how a resurrection really feels come out on March 24th, and then have two to three bonus episodes to close out the season after that. I think that's it for now, so let's put our mouths around some difficult questions. Hallelujah came to in the Welcome. Once again, to a positive jam season two, episode 10, episode 10 of a positive jam, focusing on Separation Sunday, the Hold Steady sophomore output. And we are up to Crucifixion Cruise, track number 10 of this album. The shortest track, uh, clocking in at a little under two minutes. Do I have that right? Approximately. It's an interesting track. I'm I'm going to have a lot to say about it as far as the way it holds the narrative together, but probably not everyone's favorite track. Might be a skip track for a lot of even diehard Hold Steady fans. Others might just love the simple, soft tones of Craig's voice and the wonderful religious over overtones of Franz's organ. Yeah, we're 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 going to talk about Crucifixion Cruise. Mike, I have a question for you guys. All right. Okay, cool. Is this a song? (laughs) Can we, is it fair to call it a song? Uh, yeah, yeah, of course. Look, if if we're going to, if, if, if we're going to call some of the tracks that hold the narrative together on a Pink Floyd album songs, I guess we got to call this one a song. Okay. Here's, Here's my thing. Okay. I'm of the mind that poems and songs are interrelated and that there is some overlap in in between the two forms. Some, I think, I heard this somewhere. I don't know if it's actually true that the like epic poems were actually sung of of classical times, that those are actually songs or chants. Or or, or at least at the very least memorized. or They were written in a certain meter an apprehensible metrical way to enable the poet or poets to memorize them. Yeah. And I, you know, I think parts of the Bible are possibly might be songs too. Anyway, I think that if you had to pin me down on this one, I would go poem here, song mm-hmm. poem, maybe, but I think it's tone, more tone poem, tone poem. I don't know. Yeah. Cause I don't know if they even change chords. There's a little bit of melody ish thing going on with Craig, but I don't even know if there's like a discernible repeating rhythm other than the rhythm of the poem. 
a poetic rhythm. So I just wanted to, Daniel, tell me, is this a song or not? I think I'm leaning no. I think it, I'm not sure how much, not to disagree with the premise, I'm not sure where you're drawing the, what the distinction will serve. I think Sean's response is going to be interesting because that's what I'm most interested about in talking from a meta level about this track, the narrative aspect. But yeah, I think it's a song. It's uh, It doesn't go far, but I would say the band conceives of it as a song and not a poem. Okay. It's You can argue that it's a, it's an introduction rather than a standalone song. <laughs> I guess what I did here is that, that I kind of did a, is a hot dog a sandwich type of thing. Yeah, <laughs> we don't need, so I'd, I'm not interested in that question. Maybe I'm actually not that interested in my own question here, but maybe, okay. So I, I do like the idea that it's a prelude or a preamble. I think that's, I mean, they've, so a couple things that you can find the band attest to on their interview with Magnet Magazine, which we referred to back when Kyle came on, the story about Jessica Hopper came from there. And Craig and that says, it wasn't something we came into the studio planning to do, but I thought it'd be nice to have a little song. That's a guided by voices thing, having a short song set up a longer song. Mm -hmm. and then. On clicks and hisses, the Matt refers to the Tim's Twitter listening party, which he brought up last week on our episode and talking about Chicago. Craig said, we tried to add more instruments to this, I think, but realized it was most effective as a sort of simple intro to resurrection. And then Franz adds that. It was a guitar vocal demo Craig did pretty close to the recording date. We tracked two versions, one with piano vocal, one with organ vocal that we use on the record. The first couple versions of the track listing had it as the final track, which I think is interesting. Mm. To that is interesting. Think about. Mm. So and when I think of shorts, I'm not a guided by the voices listener, really, but I've always associated their sort of short songs as more zany, like more, more the way... The Elephant Six Collective out of Athens, a lot of Olivia Tremor control, like short songs that actually were still full melodic development, maybe not a chorus, but there were changing parts. Jumping Fences is an example of a song that has something like four or five melodic sections, even though it's a two minute song. So I take I understand where you're coming from with this as far as this doesn't really go anywhere. There's some interesting songs there are interesting things in here but it doesn't go anywhere melodically it doesn't there's no change there's no b section there's it's just uh it's a meditation i just uh real quick fired up the the guitar demo is actually available on youtube and the chords do change in the guitar demo uh -huh, uh -huh. i think maybe there was some additional infrastructure around this besides the um you know maybe it started it was maybe going to be a song and then they kind of threw it in here. Maybe as a lead-in, though, I think soft, loud, soft, the counterpoint element to resurrection is where maybe it has some value as a, a complement or a, an antecedent to that song. Yeah, it has value dynamically in that it breaks up the sort of, as you just said, soft, hard, soft, hard nights, whatever the cold steady phrase I'm looking for. Also, I mean... You know, I mean, th there's a 
It reminds me of first coming across a track on Pink Floyd's The Wall. I think it was like side two track something called The Best Years of Their Lives. It's like a 30 to 40 second track. And again, it's the only the only function it has is to is to is, is to further the narrative. That's all it's there to do is to enhance the concept behind the concept album of the wall and and to further the narrative. And there's a number of songs on concept albums that do that. You know, I'm, well, you know, let's also look at at hip hop and rap albums. Which, if you look at the track listings on a hip hop or rap album you'll have a four minute track and then a 30 second track and then they, and, and it's all this sort of interludinal stuff to hold the, the thing together and not in a sort of ham fisted way, but in a, in a pretty damn sophisticated way as well. I mean, you know, DJ shadow album, albums or the, 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 the avalanches. If you look at a, a track list for an avalanche album, it's 25 to 30 tracks long and it's interspersed by five to seven minute tracks of, of great mixes or remixes. Versus a 30 second interlude that, you know, that doesn't seem, you know, isolated, seems to have no, no place there, but then it sort of, it sort of is picked up later. That's interesting because an outcast also will have skits in some of their great albums. Exactly, I'm not, right. not a huge hip hop head, but the, what's interesting with the avalanches specifically is the avalanches, you could argue is almost one long track. It's very, right symphonic in the way that those songs kind of flow together. I don't think that's what's happening here in the sense of there's, there's, we're in the same musical and lyrical vocabulary, but this is, and Crucifixion Cruise fits into that. The organ, it was interesting when we had Bob from Bend and Scoop on for Charlemagne and Sweatpants, and he really called out the organ sound. I think this is a different organ sound, but that's also a focal point, obviously. But yeah, it's not like this musical flow per se. It's in fact clearly a break between the blaring finish to Chicago Seem Tired last night and the setup to Resurrection and how Resurrection really feels. And I think we've made hints at our views on this track throughout the season. Reviewing it and sort of studying it more closely. As part of this exercise, I find it harmless. I find it, and I find that you can make the case that the break is actually nice. I'm not sure. I, those two minutes of my life, would I do, are my ears so fragile that I need a pause between Chicago seemed tired last night and how a resurrection right. really feels? Uh, you don't want to be babied. <laughs> I'm a big boy. I've got big boy pants on. I can, I think I can handle two great tracks back to back. And so then you kind of hang it on the narrative elements, which the question is, Sean, you've referred to Pink Floyd a number of times this season, but you've referred to The Wall specifically a couple of times. The Wall is often considered great album on the one hand, but also sort of the pinnacle of rock songwriter ego. And is it (laughs) really Roger Waters has an ego? No, go ahead. (laughs) I wonder what is the for all that we've talked around the story? Why is it 
a good thing that this is a concept album. Like, why does that add to what Separation Sunday is? That is an excellent question. Why is it a good thing that this is a concept album? I, I, I'll, I, I, I think it's a good thing that it's a concept album because it shows it shows how gifted a lyricist Craig Finn is. That look, I mean, we have we had there there are right now as we speak there are bands shitting out albums that have two or three great tracks that were conceived in the songwriter's head, wonderful stuff. And then there's four or five, you know, two, three, four filler tracks that simply just got crapped out because they had to take up space in an album. They had to flesh out the usual 10 song track list. And I think that that lyrically and and executionally, that Craig showed that he can create a world, that he can that that all the stuff that was he was talking about and almost killed me was a preamble to a a world that he was trying to build. And I think that that he did it. I mean, let's say, you know, writing lyrically and writing lyrically is one thing. And there are great songwriters who can write lyrically. I mean, everyone from Dylan to Leonard Cohen to Paul Simon to the great songwriters of the, the American Standards era, you know, I'm leaving out literally hundreds of thousands of names, contemporary and past. But to be able to do it and weave a story is no mean feat. You know, it's we shouldn't toss off crafting a concept album as something that... And another thing, too, I mean, in, in a way, I'm going to be honest here, I think Craig out Springsteen Springsteen. Because we think of Springsteen albums as having these characters that exist in this sort of Springsteen-esque world. Craig has characters that exist in a clearly hold steady-esque world, but he's united them in a narrative. Try that, Bruce. Put Crazy Jane and, and all those losers. Wild you know, Billy. Buying... Yeah, exactly. Put all them in a story and see what you can do. So I don't think it's... I... To the guy to the who goes question. to Atlantic City. Meet me tonight in Atlantic City. Does that have, um, guy have a name? Uh, I don't no, think so. No. I don't think there's a name no. in that song. No, but he he blew up the chicken ranch in Philly last <laughs> night, and he, and he blew up his house too. Uh, 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 so yeah, I you know great artists do things just to see if they can do it, and Craig did it. Hmm. Mike, what say you? I'm not fully persuaded by Sean's argument, heroic though it was. <laughs> He's gonna leave, but <laughs> out of here. <laughs> Just because something's harder to do doesn't mean you should do it, I think. But, and I'm not, I, it's tough. Why is it good that this is a concept album? I mean, it's hard to imagine this album as a series of thematically related, but not structurally or narratively related songs. Like, would it, can it even be what it is without being a concept album? without having recurring characters and sort of a, a plot-like architecture to it? I'm not sure. I think the argument I would make is in favor of this approach is that you get a depth of development of the characters and points of view that and a sort of tangibility by anchoring certain perspectives onto certain names and characters that you otherwise might only be rendered in a sort of much more abstract way. 
for some reason, I'm thinking of, of Nirvana albums as being kind of at the extreme of being impressionistic and sort of eluding any sort of literal interpretation. And I think layering in the figurative with the literal of like what is going on with these people helps for a lyricist like Craig Finn, who tries to be sophisticated, make you think and make you listen over and over again to capture everything that's been going on in the album. So I think to actually come back to something Sean said that that is related to this argument is it's sort of heightening Craig Finn's approach to lyricism and creating a sort of more of a, a tangible structure around it that may enhance the, our, our desire to know more about who Hallelujah is, know more about who Charlemagne is, and, and the revelations about these people's lives become more impactful because the album is structured with a kind of narrative arc. So I didn't like what Sean said, but I agree with him anyway. <laughs> Stay Story, it's, it's, it's like we're married, Mike. It's like we're married. <laughs> if only. If only, Sean. Yeah. So let me try to encapsulate, because I don't know exactly where I am on this, but I think Sean's point is sort of something I think about. It's like in gymnastics now, I believe, maybe also in diving. I don't know for sure, but you can imagine where I'm going with this. Listeners, you're about to hear Daniel's <laughs> beliefs about gymnastics and diving. So and not a moment too soon. Thank and get God. ready. You're, yeah, that's right. The scoring... Daniel, what do you believe about gymnastics and diving? <laughs> and diving. Don't don't forget diving. Wait, it's it's a, gymnastics and possibly diving. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for giving me at least a little bit of cushion for. <laughs> The scoring, and sorry, I may have actually been thinking about figure skating, not diving. <laughs> <laughs> the scoring is by degree of difficulty. So right. Simone Biles is able to do X number of flips more than everybody else. And so even if she doesn't stick the landing, the fact that she went for it, she gets more credit. And so I wonder right. some of what Sean's saying is. The degree of difficulty means we award Craig points. But as a listener, that may be, it's fair if Craig to get fired up needs to test himself, good for him. But as a listener, I don't really care, right? Bill Parcells put it best. The world doesn't want to hear about the labor. They just want to see the baby. We just want to see the baby of the album here and just enjoy the album for what it is. Whether or not it's a concept album may or not be relevant to that. And I would argue that if this wasn't a concept album, this track probably wouldn't be on it. If you're worried about the sequencing, you just move Chicago before Don't Let Me Explode, let's say. And I don't know, to me, those three tracks and Bob came on to make an argument for Charlemagne and Sweatpants. Mike has made a compelling argument for Don't Let Me Explode. But those three tracks, along with Crucifixion Cruise, to me, always like... I could have seen this being an awesome eight track album where Bane Camp, Multitude of Casualties are a little bit thinner than the other tracks, but the rest, it's all hits the rest of the way, right? So that's that's one thought I had. There's a school of thought, and Mike brought up Nirvana. I was gonna say the Pixies, if you there's a 33 and a third book about Doolittle, where Frank Black, in this case, the author spends a lot of time with Frank Black. And his whole thing is just like 
I don't care about it's just a collection of songs. The out al- the sequencing, whatever. Like the album doesn't matter to me. It's really just how do I make this as good a two to three minute song as possible? And then we'll throw them together. And even then, where the band is, like there's gonna be some synergy based on when you wrote it, how you played, etc. But that's one school of thought. Concept albums are on the other extreme. There's also something I I think I tend to like song cycles a lot where there's a theme to the album, but it's not necessarily a story. You can argue that Boys and Girls in America is closer to this, where it's yeah. clearly similar narrate or similar characters, and it's clear they're in the same world, but they're not necessarily lined up to flow towards that finish line like they are here. Village Green Preservation Society by the Kinks is another example of that. Excellent example. I mean, you know, I would argue great albums. I think great albums do cohere in one way or the other. And I wonder with with this album, like we talked about Stevie Nicks, for example, and I wonder the argument you might make for a concept album, the lines ought to be 17 forever and 33 forever. Like those are just really universal lines. And you can argue that the specificity of the story, like any story, a novel or anything else, is what brings out the universal. And that if somebody can do that in a musical narrative while still keeping the drive and the power of the music together, then then yeah, you not only it's not only higher degree of difficulty, but higher delivery of quality at the end. That's the argument. The counter argument is that you get a crucifixion cruise on the album too. And so that's 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 why that's what I have been saving up for on this track is because I just think this is the track that most puts the question of do we need the concept to get to the final height of the next track, Resurrection Really Feels, or is it enough that the band is really tight and because we even asked last season, both in, I remember in The Swish with Matt Brooks, and I think it came up in Hostile Mass with Leon, the, like there's, it scratches an itch, all the pop culture references, and then that Craig creates his own pop culture. Uh, like, it does something. And so I, and I like it. I'm not trying to be a total curmudgeon here. I like it as much as anybody, but I'm just trying to tease out, like, what is it that makes it exciting that it, all hangs together. It's, it's, so we we could we could talk about some of what you just said, Daniel. In terms of, I, I'm to, to you, you you borrow gymnastics. I'm not going to borrow film. Auteur theory that a filmmaker is making a film and is making a statement, and whether or not that statement is is entertainment is you know, is something to be debated. That's 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 a, a very sort of <laughs> doggerel-filled definition of auteur theory. And it also we also have to deal with the genres available to songwriters these days. What what if you are someone like Kate Bush or or Craig Finn or I'm trying or, or Roger Rodgers or even someone like George Gershwin for whom your musical impulses are such that the 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 publicly available genres to you aren't as popular as you'd like them to be. So 
in many aspects of your career, in an expression of your art, you're somewhat stifled because there's more stuff you want to do, but the public's palate isn't that sophisticated. And sophisticated seems condescending. The public doesn't really know what you're capable of because it can only receive your art in this these specific genres. It, it, and so I think that we have to give a pass to people like Craig and Craig Finn and even ego-driven Roger Waters for realizing, and again, you know, the Pink Floyd was in a specific, was in a different situation. They could have done whatever they wanted and sold 20 billion albums. But people like Kate Bush is a great example. We've talked about her. Risk taker, always a risk taker. And her some of her albums are concept-esque albums, or at least the thematic albums, like what you just said. And there's something to be said for a songwriter who gets impatient with the way albums are structured and produced and and goes for something a little different. This is their sophomore album. This is their sophomore album. And they took a fucking huge chance with this, right? I mean, even you you, you brought up Kurt Cobain, right? What what was it? One of the songs he wanted to title on Heart Shape. What's what's the album that has Heart Shape Box? Is it is it Heart Shape Box? I forget. In utero. In utero. In, in utero. Thank you very much. He wanted to he wanted to snidely and condescendingly call a song verse chorus verse because <laughs> he was he was just so impatient with the format and the pressures that were on him to adhere to that to that format. So I think maybe we're all saying the same thing. Maybe we're all giving Craig a pass, but I still think it's pretty damn brave of someone to uh, you say, want to tell, tell the record company yeah this is going to be a concept album it's going to have, be about god and redemption and religion and and drugs and it's going to have a lot of pop 80s pop culture references and if you're the head of a record company and you hear that you go uh no thank you nope pass so i guess that's my full-throated defense of concept albums and songwriter auteur theory so have at me. You want the Hold Steady to be the kind of band that makes a concept album? No, not necessarily. I mean, because I oh. love Hold Steady. I don't. I, I just. I just want us to sit back and admire the balls it took to say sophomore albums. Hey, guess what? Sophomore albums going to be a concept album. Deal with it, motherfuckers. Yeah, because there's. I mean, trust me, there are Hold Steady songs that I love on subsequent albums. That I, because of my reference points from you know the earlier songs and the first couple of albums, I can connect to that universe, uh, which makes which only enhances my my pleasure and enjoyment of those songs. But I can also the enjoyment as just as just great, fantastic fucking sing along songs as well. So, have I been rambling? You guys, guys feel free to fucking. Blow I'm just dark mad at Daniel <laughs> for making us try and tackle this question. <laughs> <laughs> I don't apologize. I don't know. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> well, the a couple things. First, the band apparently was aware of this. Again, if I go back to that Magnet article, Tad says, when we started to do press for Separation Sunday, I remember Craig admitting that it was a concept record. And I was like, what? Okay, well, I guess it is that. <laughs> I think he was wary of that term because it can sound so high-minded. Yeah. Craig is then quoted next saying, I always think of Kilroy was here by sticks when I think of concept albums. Uh, yeah. Again, I, if that's off Paradise Theater, I actually bought that album as a kid, as a teenager in vinyl, by the way, 
well, I guess there was no other option. Well, there are other options, but anyway, anyway, yeah, 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 yeah. And again, it's overwrought, it's pretentious, it's self-absorbed. That the narrative is is hamfed. It doesn't make any sense. The central metaphor is weird. But they, I think Stick sort of took their cue from talents like Pink Floyd and said, "Hey, we could do this too. It'd be one of the biggest bands on the planet." And they just didn't have the songwriting chops or the narrative ability. It was just, it just it was just awful. So I can understand his reticence to, you know, to play in the same arena as Kilroy was here. Well, and. First of all, Kilroy was here has Mr. Roboto, which yeah, right, 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 exactly, right, <laughs> just, uh, which is uh, the crucifixion cruise of its time. I think we can all right, agree. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it also, when Sgt. Pepper's was probably the original concept album in terms of a fully a band really going for it, as far as we're g- including interstitial sorts of songs, right? And it wasn't so much a narrative concept, but no. That produced, that spawned a number of imitators, usually of lesser quality. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't, I didn't mean to like pose this as a hot take generator, Mike, or to otherwise disturb our time together. I just think it's an interesting question. I'm afraid that Mike's not going to forgive me for this one he's having none of this he's having none of this (laughs) i think it's best if we just move on from here (laughs) okay well i'll tell you what let let me get my 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 wasteland references in and then we then we can move on so wasted by the wasteland crucifixion screws is short it seems to be strangely short and sit amongst you know a, m- a bunch of other rather lengthier songs. Canto four of the Wasteland is called Death by Water, and after reading two or three long cantos of of, of the Wasteland, you come to the short, literally ten line canto. It's your eye goes to it because you're like, wait, <laughs> I expect when I saw it, came across the title of this canto, I expected it to be much much longer. And it's not. And again, it's basically a warning in the same way that Crucifixion Cruise is a bit of a warning that we we see Hallelujah infested with infections, smiling on an abscessed tooth. The song is, you know, roughly the same. It, you, it, it's the same sort of length. It sits weirdly between these two longer, more emboldened songs. And it, it mentions someone by name, Plebis the Phoenician uh, in Death by Water. And we get Hallelujah. In Crucifixion Cruise, or just a, a, a current under sea goes the line in Death by Water. A current under sea picked his bones in whispers. As he fell, as he rose and fell, he passed the stages of his age and youth, entering the whirlpool. Gentile or Jew, oh you who turned the wheel and looked to windward, consider Phlebas, who was once as handsome and tall as you. In essence, Craig's doing the same thing. He's showing us hallelujah in the confession booth. Abscess tooths, again, bone reference. Yeah, she's showing us a girl who was once sweet and young and pretty, and she's she's not that way anymore. So I think that to go along with my obviously <laughs> misguided theory that this is uh, the wasteland of our generation, I would point to this song in particular and index it to the wasteland and say of this. Also, one thing that escaped us last week, I think when we were talking about the line, they had cigarettes where they were supposed to be their eyes in, in 
what is it? Is it in Chicago? Chicago? That's Chicago. Chicago. Right, right. There's a line in The Wasteland that occurs in Canto 2 in which Eliot is literally quoting verbatim, again, immature poets imitate, great poets steal. Uh, he's quoting verbatim Shakespeare, those are pearls that were his eyes, which is from The Tempest. So there's a lot of uh, stuff that, that if you take a look, you know, if you compare these two things, you'll you compare these two works, you'll see a lot of crossover. And of course, thematically, they're talking about the same thing. Sin, fall, redemption, that kind of thing. So I just had to get my, because Dan, you work so hard on that wasteland needle drop. <laughs> I want to make sure that we make good use of it. So I was getting that in here in this one. So. No, but that's really great because this seems the strongest connection to it, especially with that cigarettes were the supposed to be eyes, pearls that were his eyes, whether Craig is going to the tempest, to the wasteland, and it's referring to the same character, the the drowned Phoenician sailor. So the drowned Phoenician sailor, correct? Yeah, yeah. Very, very interesting stuff. Yes, that's from the tempest of of full fathom five. Thy father lies. Of his bones are coral made. Those are those are pearls that were his eyes. By the way, did you guys know that every Shakespearean play, not every. Let me just most Shakespearean plays have a song in them. Do you know that? There's a song. We don't know what the music is, but there is a song in, in most Shakespearean plays. Well, that's like I said at the beginning, the <laughs> poems are songs sometimes. <laughs> that's right. That sounds like a Craig, a Craig Finn lyric. Poems are songs sometimes. Or maybe you wish your poem was a song. Yeah, that's, I think, where, where I am. Yeah, I also uh, just want to, Consider Phlebas, who was once handsome and tall as you. She climbed the cross and found she liked the view. I think view, it, yep. it sounds, we don't know, but it sounds like there's, they're related lines to me. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, it's kind of, is, there's this, echoes of one in the other. This this was my my suspicion when I first heard this album. Or let me um, no, not first. But wow, I, you put this album on and you were like, <laughs> "This I'm listening to the like, wasteland." Holy crap! Wow, Craig Finn, you genius! It's so the wasteland. Line for line, <laughs> it's exactly the same. It's verbatim. <laughs> you magnificent bastard. <laughs> A rock and roll wasteland. <laughs> I can't believe it. For teenagers. It. Let me get on the social media and announce this to the world. <laughs> a bolt of lightning. Exactly. No, no, not immediately. But after a, a couple of close readings, it became pretty clear to me. Then I said, yes, Craig Finn, you genius. Let, so... <laughs> Well, like staring blankly. I'm He's looking so at the I'm his... admiring the. <laughs> That's admiring weird. The I'm not no. being dis. Okay, I, I made I, some I, jokes I, about being a little dismissive because <laughs> you feel a little dismissive. But I'm actually admiring the lyrics right now. That's what I'm, I'm doing. Like, oh. Staring off into space. How dare you? <laughs> Excuse nice. me. I, I apologize. That was a that was an un, unwarranted thing to say. So so are we at are are we are we at golden? Are there any golden nuggets here for either of you? Yes. Yes. All right. Well. Cool. Cool. Mike, start us off. Holly has an abscessed tooth. Mm-hmm. She asks, Lord, what would you prescribe? 
Well, I looked on the Mayo Clinic and (laughs) (laughs) oral gel. Is that what they recommend? A a, a topical? See your dentist promptly if you have any signs or (laughs) symptoms of a tooth abscess. If you have a fever and swelling in your face and you can't reach your dentist, go to an emergency room. It's really quite straightforward. Also, some tips on prevention of tooth abscess. Use fluoridated drinking water. Brush your teeth at least twice a day. She's not brushing her teeth. She's really gotten into serious trouble here. Replace your toothbrush every three or four months. Eat healthy food, limiting sugary items. So I think the sugar and the sweetness. Right. Com points out that that has some thematic things. Yeah, but yeah the sweet part of the city. Yep, yep. Literal on a literal level, Holly could have cut back on those. Sweet pain, and then consider using an antiseptic or a fluoride mouth rinse uh, to add an extra layer of protection against tooth decay. So that's my first golden nugget. Is just nugget is take care of your teeth. We can we can learn from Holly's mistakes, and we can all do, do a little bit better with that. So that's one. Should I keep going or do you guys want to guess? Are there are there other health related websites that you feel like sharing with me? <laughs> I could bring up WebMD, but I think I've covered most of the bases for two thousand. Okay. I mean, well, the other well, while we're on the topic, just really quickly, there you can have one that's in the root of your tooth, or you can have one that's on the crown of your tooth. And I think it's we just want to clarify that it's it's likely that. Holly here has a periodontal abscess <laughs> that occurs in the gums at the side of at the site of tooth rot. So the you, reason you that I say really that dislike this is song. because <laughs> no, I'm, I did research. Is <laughs> because she's smiling and you can see it. So if it was a periopical abscess then you wouldn't be able to see it. So what we're dealing here with for Holly is a, a periodontal abscess so i just want to make sure that that's clear Um, thank you (laughs) one thing that crashing through the vestibule she came to in the confession booth and then crashed through the vestibule so she's like she ran out of the out to the front of the church i guess just like that's the scene so she's out and then and then she starts praying so i guess she's like outside the church by the time she starts asking God what she should do, which I think is interesting because in resurrection, how resurrection really feels, she crashes into the Easter mass. So mm-hmm. maybe those aren't right next to each other, but there's a lot of like going flying in and out of the church going on here. Finally, she climbed the cross and found she liked the view. I think is really, there's a bright side to being crucified, which is that... <laughs> You're at the top of a hill. You get to be at the top of Mount Calvary. And not only are you at the top of the hill, but then you're elevated yet further, having been pinned to a, a cross of wood. And I think there's something, I don't know, there's a lot of irony in, in, in all seriousness. There's like irony and sort of a weird, that line sort of curls in on itself for me. Found She, she climbed the cross and found she liked the view. I don't know why, because it's like a discovery that once you've been crucified, it's good. I don't know. It sticks with me. It sort of seems like it's just cute, you know, being a little cute. But I don't know. I I don't quite. It's I turn that one over in my head a bunch. So okay, my other nugget, Dan. 
I think I've got three things here. I like the a songwriter or a poet or anybody with words who can get away with repetition. I think that effective use of repetition, dreaming about an old connection, talking loud over lousy connections. So for both repetition of loud and lousy and connection and connections infested with infection. First of all, lots of shun, but then again, and infection means to be infected. Like there's a, it's not exactly the same word, but similar root. I think that's a nice trick that Craig uses along plenty of alliteration in here, but just he gets a lot with a few sounds in this song, whether again, that's poetic or song-like. The- it's, definitely, it's definitely, but let me just say that that's like poets often, especially like poets from like hundreds of years ago, literally studied classical rhetoric. They would know and understand what an anaphora is or what anadiplosis is, which is like, like I think it was, anaphora is like the repetition of the same words at the beginning of phrases. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall do this. We shall, we shall, we shall, which sort of builds a rhetorical rhythm. Anadiplosis is like the repetition of words at the ends of sentences. Uh, my horse, my horse, my kingdom for a horse. Great poets generally have to go through a phase and either stay in it or pass through it into something else in which they study the, the sort of rhetorical tropes that we as lay readers may not be, that are apparent in poems that we not be, we not be, we might not be aware of. So, yeah. There's a nafra in here. Yep. Oh, she yeah. said, Lord, what would you recommend? Lord, what would you prescribe? She does it. Yeah. Holly is, is a great rhetorician. <laughs> well, or, or Craig Finn is the rhetorician, and Holly is the vessel through which he speaks. If only we knew whether this was a concept <laughs> album. <laughs> or direct reporting. <laughs> or, yeah, um, if this, yeah, if it's a journalistic <laughs> stance that Craig is taking. Yes. Uh, Dan, you had more nuggets. The... I don't know if you can call it singing, but the recording of Craig's voice, I, I ended up using whenever we have an intro segment, I basically loop the last few seconds of this song because it's really right. the only oh, that's right. instrumental section of the album to a, in a sense that isn't loud and rocking. And you can hear the end of Real Hard Times and there's like a on Craig's recording. I just think that's even though it is a short track and it belies the limited amount of time they spent on fleshing it out or whatever and not that that's not that more time would make it better but there is a lot of thought into how they record like it's intimate and they do a good job of catching his voice and I think that plays well with what they're trying to do in the song. And the last point I had there is, I guess, tied to it. My last nugget is this feeling of confession isn't the right word. I'm trying to look for, of giving yourself up, of admission, of admission of failings, I think is really, it's a note that it's hard to hit in a, as a rock band, and I don't think they hit it elsewhere on this album. Lord, I'm Discouraged is arguably another time 
and the whole steady. I love that song. It's one of my top three. I love that song. And so that that's a powerful feeling to capture in music. And I think Lord, I'm discouraged ranks higher for you. I'd argue because there's more of a song and a force behind it. Whereas here is, it is down to a two minute track, but I think there's something to do that. I think there's also an irony in there to again, go back to clicks and hisses. I like the point they make there about the Lord. What do you recommend? Lord, what would you prescribe? To me, that sounds like the idea of our faith is very close to our real life. That's the way you would talk to an older brother or something right. or a teacher right. with a little bit of irony in it, maybe. But Matt on Quicks and Hisses makes the point that it almost sounds like Holly's looking for an easy way out. Like, what would you prescribe? Like, give me something. Give me the right. shot. Give me the cure that I can just take to get out of this and it's not for all that she's musing about resurrection and she climbed the cross and found the view i don't think and i don't know holly's continued story outside of this album i don't think holly has truly found she has truly like confessed and reached absolution mm-hmm. that she will give her the resurrection. I don't think she's truly said I am has truly been born again in that sense, but maybe, you know, I know in some veins of the Christian faith, it's just enough to believe. And that's that more than it. your faith. Yeah, more than anything as if else he had faith. Yeah. As if he had faith and faith will be given to you. Yeah. yeah. This is a good question. And I think that there's a clue to this in resurrection where at the end she says, don't turn me on again, because I'll probably just go and get myself all gone again. She's there, but she's, but it's tenuous, man. She's holding on by a thread. I don't think I have any additional golden nuggets outside of the ones that you guys have already articulated. I mean, and of course, you know, the, my, my weird need to connect this to Elliot's The Wasteland. I think that, yeah. So I think we've, I think we, we have, uh, the crucifixion cruise has ended. <laughs> it's pulling into port. <laughs> it's pulling into port. I think some people might be a bit more grateful that it's over than others. So, <laughs> so Sean, uh, what do you uh, recommend? What, what do I recommend? What do you prescribe what? to a uh, real soft podcaster who's having a real hard episode? Well, you know, I'm self care. Maybe okay. uh, some sunshine. Uh, okay. Maybe you know what? A yoga class. Get yourself centered. Mm. Get uh, uh, get back inside yourself. That's that's what I got. Okay. Okay. And poetry. You, you could you could you could read some poetry if you wanted to. Poetry works. Maybe we okay. could read this song as a poem. That's right. <laughs> so I think that's it for uh, us this week. Crucifixion Cruise, next episode, the next episode that will feature, uh, that we'll talk about the whole studies of uh, Separation Sunday, will be about how our resurrection really feels the last track on that album. Until we see you, until we, until you hear from us then, take care, stay positive. Bye, kids. Thank you for listening to A Positive Jam. As always, we hope you're enjoying this season. 
Let us know on Twitter at at Sean Westfall, at M. Brooks Taylor, at Daniel Shortman, or just at Shortman Studios. Also email us at mail at shortmanstudios.com. We're taking next week off from publishing, as I said at the top, but catch up on the back catalog and hold steady for the last track on Separation Sunday, which will break down two weeks from today. <laughs>